This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Real Estate is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, I'm Thomas Kutzman, the co-founder of Preview. And what I love about real estate is the idea and feeling of being home. The memories you have of the places you've lived can serve as the chapters of your life. Hi, I'm Pavan Ball, president of Mouth Media Network, which produces this show, Real Estate is Your Business. It's no secret that real estate consumers experience high brokerage fees and complicated processes. Other industries such as travel and finance have solved for this with technology innovation. But as you've heard often in other interviews on this podcast, the real estate industry has not adopted to technology as quickly as others. Coming up, you'll hear from an entrepreneur who has solved this brokerage fee issue with a technology solution preview, a platform he and his co-founder built out of their frustration with the high fees and lack of control in an antiquated real estate process. They believe there should be a smarter way for people to buy and sell real estate. From New York City, you're listening to Real Estate Is Your Business, powered by Preview, a smart online real estate brokerage providing expert advice without the high fees. With real estate tech entrepreneur Thomas Kutzman and business development expert Scott Pollock. Hey, Tom, uh, welcome to your own show. Thanks for coming out today. <laughs> no, I mean, look, look uh, how, how does it feel, first of all, to be uh, behind on the other side of this microphone? Are we flipping. actually starting? Yeah, oh, we're now. running. We're flipping the script We're today. running. I'm flipping the mic on you, As and we're talking said in on your own real estate show. It's it's good to be here. It's, uh, <laughs> it's actually probably more stressful being the host because you're thinking about what questions you want to ask your folks and like your curiosity about other people's businesses where it's a lot more relaxed when people are asking you questions about what you know best. You just started. Wait for yeah. it before you answer whether or not this is any more relaxed. Or wondering if we actually care. No, no. <laughs> so, so, Or making the assumption that we care. No, but we do. As Mouth Media, the reason we thought that this was important is because not only are you a host of real estate, um, you know, you have a relevant real estate technology company. And I think it's important to to show that to the audience as well and, and kind of see that you're, you're a, not only a, interviewing some of these subjects that come on uh, that are that have been fantastic but going into episode what is this nine or ten this is number nine this is number nine i think it's important to to also give that um that visibility and lens to who whom you are and then maybe one day we'll do you as well scott oh i'll be honored but let's let's, let's all be <laughs> honest um another reason why we thought it'd be good to flip this around is because you bring good snacks you've learned from all the other guests who brought some delicious bites for snack time segment mm, yeah, so i appreciate that i have you've... some good surprises for you some good stuff I, i'm looking at it now we'll talk about that later so, so tom what do you do in the real estate world beyond being a podcast host of this show so i'm the co-founder of preview uh we're a smart online brokerage that focuses on saving people money uh there's a big problem in the industry that commission rates are, are too high if you compare the u.s or particularly new york uh, where we're based uh commission rates are double and triple what they are in other developed countries in the world. Is that right? And when we first started on this journey, it was built out of, you know, our own frustrations, myself and my and my co-founder, Chase Marsh. Uh, we'd both invested in real estate um, for many years. We actually had considered some you know, investment properties together. And what we quickly realized was it was out of this frustration, we started doing more and more research and were shocked that commission rates were still so high. And so just to put some context around this, when we're talking about commission rates, we mean when you go to buy a house, the person who's selling it is paying a real estate agent, what, 5 6% to sell it. They're paying for the service mm -hmm. that agents, real estate agents provide. And and that's what we're referring to when we talk about commissions. Correct. Yeah, and you're saying that that's two, three times more than other developed areas? So if you look at the U.S., so, so Scott's correct, uh, in the U.S., commission rates to sell your home is approximately 5 to 6%. Mm -hmm. If you compare that to the U.K., which is 1.5%, Canada is 3%, Germany wow. is about 2%. Um, and that was alarming to us. When you think of you know, the U.S. as you know, the, one of the most powerful you know, economies in the world and one of the most advanced technologically, it was shocking that those high commission rates still existed. You know, it's interesting. When I watch like Selling New York or Million Dollar Listing or any of that stuff, 
Um, it does surprise me how high those check numbers are when it says earned commission for XYZ is $180,000. Well, what's the, the average price in New York City, for example, of an apartment? It's like a million dollars now, right? No, so you're it's, talking about... it's, it's actually higher than that. You know, depending if you're looking at a median or an average uh, in New York City, it's about one and a half to two million dollars. That's crazy. I mean, just but, but putting the numbers against that, right? So let's even just use for my own mathematical purposes, a million dollars, five six percent of that. You're talking about fifty sixty thousand dollars that's yeah. getting paid to sell. And an that's apartment. under the average. That's below. So you're doubling that for you know the average might be. 50% higher, as you're saying, a million and a half. Right. So, so you're talking about $100,000. So $75,000. We typically look at the $2 million example. In that case, $2 million property, 6% commission, there's $120,000 of commission being paid for by the seller. Half of that, or $60,000, will go to the buyer's agent. Half of that will go to the seller's agent. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the amount of time that people spend helping their clients, you know, particularly like we're very focused on the buy side of the equation. When you look at that buyer, how many hours is that agent spending with that client? So if you look at a $60,000 commission, if you spend 20 hours with the person, that's $3,000 per hour. That's better than lawyers, better than doctors, you know, better than majority I'll, of I'm other sure that people will argue that there's more work that's involved just beyond the face-to-face, -face, right? Yeah. So it, there's open houses and there's there's research on – there's a clientele base that also has value, right? So just having the context to be able to sell an apartment. And there's a you know famous anecdote about Picasso, about he was in a, ca a cafe in Spain at the end of his career and he's doodling on a napkin. And a woman comes over to him and he's like, this is amazing. I'd like to buy that for you. And Picasso says to the woman – this is now going to be $25,000. And she's like, what? What the hell? Like that, you just took three seconds to draw that. And he's like, no, ma'am, I spent 70 years drawing that. And so the idea of the expertise that's trapped in there, is that baked into that price per hour? We hear that pushback from, you know, larger traditional established agents that, you know, there's a lot of extra time that you don't see that goes into things. And we, we take that, you know, to heart because we've been auditing everything we do. We look mm -hmm. at how many hours every single agent spends with a particular client, you know, particularly buyers. By the buyer side of the equation, again, is slightly different than a seller. Um, but if you look at that, how, if, it, if you're only spending 20 hours with someone, why shouldn't it be on par with a lawyer, doctor, other licensed professionals? Where in New York, it takes you a 75-hour license course to become a salesperson, mm -hmm. Right. Lawyers, doctors spend three, four years um, of education plus minimum. licensing at a minimum, yeah. plus then internships, apprenticeships, however you want to refer to it. Why should someone get a multiple of that for, you know, not, we're not diminishing the fact of, of expertise. Mm -hmm. we, we think it's very important for people to have expert advice. And in our scenario, when we built our business, we made sure that you do have an agent that's paired with you every step of the way. Mm -hmm. Because when people think about technology companies, um, they think that the people go away, they think there's a diminishing of service. Mm -hmm. We've actually used technology to make things more efficient, make our agents more efficient, and that enables us to pass along a greater savings to people. Well, let's take a quick step back rebate. because we haven't talked about what preview is, right? So how, okay, so we identified what the issue here is, right? People are paying too much on the brokering side uh, of getting this done. Um, so how do how do you solve for that? Well, it's it's one clear thing. There's this half truth perpetuated by buyers agents in particular that it's free to be represented as a buyer, and that's it's just wrong, right? It's misleading. What do you mean? It's misleading in the fact that it's embedded into the price. If an intermediary, as your as your buyer's agent, is getting paid something that's based on the sale. It's affecting your price. The seller knows it's built into the commission structure and it's affecting your price. All right, mm -hmm. So let me just take a step back. So right now, let's just say a million dollar apartment, the seller is normally getting, seller's agent is getting paid 6% of the total sales price by the seller. So they're paying, the seller is paying $60,000 of the million right. dollar sale so, price out of the, uh, the closing, at the closing. And then normally that 6% is split with the buying agent, right? So normally the each agent gets 3%. And right. then so they each, split that to Each agent firm. gets 3%. So 30 would go to the seller's agent, 30 would go to the buyer's agent. But what we do as preview, we give back two-thirds of what we receive for representing the buyer back to the to the buyer. So in that $30,000 that's coming to the buyer's agent, 20000 is given to the buyer. So you're getting more when you're buying with preview. You're getting up to 2% back. So the... The buyer in this case gets twenty thousand. You guys keep 
ten thousand, and that's that's your fee for your business, and then the selling agent gets thirty. Exactly. Yeah, we think that's a, a much fairer model. And when you look at you know traditional cases, if you have the opportunity to buy a home and use a traditional broker, you're paying a million dollars and getting nothing back. You buy a million dollar property with preview, you're you have the expert advice of an agent, and you get twenty thousand dollars back. And yeah, well, uh, so just uh, roaming around your Instagram page, uh, you actually give big, fat checks back. Like you give physical checks, like back. Ed McMahon delivering the uh, publisher. <laughs> At least one of them I've seen that way. And balloons with it too. Yeah. So, so the the one example I think uh, <coughs> I think you're referring to, uh, we had a client came in. Um, I think I believe it was June or July. Mm-hmm. Was interested in buying uh, a property in the Flatiron neighborhood of New York City. Uh, property was roughly four and a half million dollars. He ends up buying it, and in around that price, he was able to negotiate a better price. But he buys nearly a four point five million dollar property, and he received him and his family received uh, seventy two thousand dollars back as a check. Mm-hmm. And it's good money. I actually went with the team to deliver that check, um, and it was really a, a just a a very fulfilling moment to watch yeah. the smile on someone's face. Not only did they buy a their dream apartment, they were also able to walk away with a big check. And when when did you start Preview? So Preview was started uh, several years ago, mm-hmm. um, but we only launched our buyer rebate product. So our smart buyer rebate uh, was launched in June of seventeen. Uh, June of so how long after that was this check? It, nearly immediately, like the oh, the shit. response. That's the, cool. the response from the from New Yorkers that are buying homes since we launched. Mm-hmm. Um, is unbelievable. The The concept really resonates with people. Um, and we take a very, you know, a smart approach to things. And when you look at New Yorkers, they're pretty savvy people. Yeah. They like, they, they, they're smart with their money. So let me just try to understand how it works, right? So, I mean, over the years, the 6% uh, kind of standard, quote unquote, definitely has been chipped away. If you're like 5%, maybe it's come the new standard. And I've seen things like discount <laughs> brokers talking about, we only charge 2 or 3%. Is that kind of where are you guys fair? Are you looking at things differently? It's not just you're cutting your own margins to give something back to attract clients, but there's a different model to it. We, we think about it a different way. If you look at every other industry that exists where someone comes in at a, a, a lower price point, um, the natural thing for the established players is to you know flag it off as discount. The, and it creates this stigma that there's you're getting a lesser service. Um, we have started in a new fashion where we've created this model and we've built our cost structure in a way where we can deliver these savings. We have salaried agents as opposed to the high commission, mm, you know, split that's agents. That's the, that's the difference. We, okay. use, we use technology to create a better user experience for the buyers and to make our agents more efficient. You know, for one example, you know, one client that's working with us is a former Trulia executive and he loved the idea of the value proposition of the rebate, and he thought that maybe I'll get a lower service. And he actually said that he feels like he's getting better service mm-hmm. than he would with a traditional broker. Because on our platform, you can view properties, create your own customized feed. You can share properties with your mm-hmm. agent. You can communicate in messaging with your agent, ask questions. It's a much more user-friendly and much more efficient process for both the buyer and the agent. So you're not going through text messages and emails and like, what's yeah. my update? When's my showing? It's all in one place. And it's more, much so more seamless. So you're actually seamless. controlling the consumer experience as well. It's a much more seamless experience uh, and in an end-to-end platform mm-hmm. setup. So and that would ma- that's what makes us unique. And in New York, we're the only person doing rebates with a smart, intelligent end-to-end platform. So there's there's actually a lot to unpack there that I'd love to dig yep. into in turn. But like, so <laughs> you know what I noticed? He's not making any friends. <laughs> like, I mean, he's definitely, you're definitely not making. That's friends actually right exactly now. it. Like, there's the industry is kind of well established in its norms yeah. of how things work, and this is different. The questions that I have around well, why is why is the industry established the way it is, and how are these norms being challenged, and what does that mean? Like, for example, you mentioned something in the very beginning of that uh, of the last comment around salaried agents like the yeah, traditional industry, that's way different it's totally different right yeah. except the, the traditional norm of a real estate agent is total you know independent contractor hands-off relationship you are getting yep. paid when you kill what you eat what you kill and, and what i love about this though is that the the platform itself is controlling the quality of the interactions right so so you're not getting someone that took a 75 hour work course 
and and leaving it up to the variables that exist with whether they're not organized or either you know they're not timely whatever it is you do the searching and most of the work with a platform which i'm more accustomed to do anyway as a consumer these days right and then you get the support with somebody that's licensed and able to kind of take it through the the, the finish line well i'm curious how does the the idea of being having salaried agents as opposed to agents that are commission only and again eat what they kill how does that change things how is that different than the industry and what does that mean for mm-hmm. customers or, or the agents themselves. I, th- I think there's uh, there's one key thing, and in, in when you look at a market like New York City, there's 30,000 agents uh, that are licensed in New York City alone. Mm-hmm. And only about 10% of them are doing 90% of the business. So there are they're a lot the ones of... ones on TV and million dollars. They're the, one on, the ones on TV. They're big teams. They're big organizations. And there's a lot of agents running around that are very good. They're licensed. They have experience. But they just don't have the the means to break into the industry where we have a brand, we have a platform that acquires leads and acquires customers digitally. And we actually have more productive and happier agents because one, they have great tools that they can interact with clients um, that makes their job they easier and more efficient. Their life a little bit, right? It provides a great level of stability mm-hmm. and they're getting more experience by working with preview than they would anywhere else. So if you work on a, a, a deal team at an established firm and you're doing four or five deals a year, yeah. some of our agents are doing five, six deals a month. Are you worried about your your churn overall? Or is it just a system that you could place people into? Maybe it's a farm and then they, they go out to um, you know their own independent work. I think the I think the setup works best in metropolitan markets, high price point markets where there's a very compelling value proposition for people, given the magnitude of mm-hmm. the rebates. Um, but this is a very you know scalable model in that the platform can be plug and play in any market we enter into. Because at the end of the day, the property side is 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 data feeds. Right, yep. and, but that's available to everybody now, everywhere and everywhere. Right, so yeah. whether you work with established broker A or established broker They're B, pulling it up from a listing. People can go on Street mm-hmm. Easy or Zillow. They can find the data, but yeah. we're unlocking the value for people where other mm-hmm. firms, their cost structures are so bloated, they can't pass along additional savings. Well, like what's what's your overall thesis? Why were you building preview because you think that the future of buying and selling property fundamentally will change and you need to catalyze that change? Uh, or do you see an opportunity in a microcosm of the overall that, you know what, we'll just, we'll, we'll make a nice business and sit in this. Well, there's two parts to it. First, it was out of the frustration with the high fees and buyers, your just, personal frustration, my personal frustration, fees were too high. I've bought and sold properties. And you probably did most of the research work anyway on that yes, property, <laughs> both buying and selling. I always felt like, what am I paying for? I know more than these people. Yeah. Um, yes, they're licensed, but I don't understand the magnitude of what they're getting paid for the amount of time they're putting into the sure. effort. So it started with that frustration. Um, but when I looked at my own experience um, from my prior career before starting preview, I saw and was a part of a massive change that happened in equities trading where commission structure went down and everybody thought it was going to kill the you know equities or stock market uh, trading business, right? But what ended up happening is by the commission structure coming down, overall transaction volume went up. Now, earlier you said you're probably not making a lot of friends with what you're doing. I sure did. But we pushed back on that like... Yes, the industry is going to change. The commission structure can come down and people can make it up in volume because by commission structure coming down, by unlocking savings for people, the overall transaction volume goes up and there'll be real estate will become far more liquid for people to be able to move more freely and not feel stuck in a property because they're taxed. So, so that's interesting. So you're thinking that by actually just making it cheaper to sell, that that actually encourages people mm-hmm. to move more. I mean, I think there's a lot there that you're saying because obviously there's the economic component of selling, and I totally agree. I've been stuck in an apartment that I bought in 2008, right before the crash, and we felt like we couldn't leave because we'd lose our shirt. So there's an element there that I get, but at the same time, there's a lot also around this the emotional attachment of your home that keeps people there. So how do you reconcile those? I, I think a lot of people move due to life events, right? Either you're 
buying your first place or you're upgrading to a larger place or you're moving from a city to a suburb for for whatever reason you know you choose to do that and when you look at all of the costs that go into uh, buying a home or selling a home there are closing costs there are especially when you're buying there's mortgage related costs um, and then when you add in commission structure when you put all of those costs together and look at it not just relative to the overall price of the property but relative to the cost of of equity of actual amount of equity you have in a property it's massive yeah. and it becomes anytime there's additional fee or cost associated with going in or out of transaction costs it's making you more difficult to go through that process mm. i'm hungry so i'm going to cut this conversation real quick and and ask you uh, what you brought in uh, for your guests today or Snack your hosts time. today. Yeah, so I, I would say I know as, as being a co-host that we always ask people to bring in uh, a, a snack that tells us a little bit something uh, about the guest. And you know, being the guest today, uh, uh, I brought in some Swiss chocolates. Um, Give me some context. I, I mean, I already know the context. Yeah, I know so, you quite so, well. Yeah, so. Pavan and I go back uh, <laughs> back a long, uh, a long way as, as, as with Scott. So I actually lived in Switzerland, uh, in Geneva, Switzerland, for five years. And, uh, you find yourself out that way. Uh, so I was working at a, at a hedge fund uh, in Geneva for five years. I'd left uh, the U.S. markets. Uh, I was still focused on U.S. markets while we're living mm-hmm. over there, um, but I moved there for, uh, for a, a role at a, at a large hedge fund. And you mentioned before that your background wasn't in real estate traditionally, right? You came from the kind of financial world. Right. So I had invested in real estate for, you know, for well over a decade just as, a, as, a, as personal investments. I was always passionate about real yeah. estate. Um, but my professional career has always been around investments, particularly technology investments, focused, you know, software, internet, you know, I started in the business when, you know, Google went public. And, you know, one of the last things I saw mm-hmm. before I left was, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, and a few others went public, um, you know, a year or two before I left, uh, left the industry. How big industry. was the fund? Uh, well, the fund I joined um, in, I joined in 2011. The fund was $5 billion. So it was a it was a, it was a large organization, very yeah. established, uh, you know, well known. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of Swiss chocolate. <laughs> oh. So all right, so we're gonna jump into this uh, on our second. Uh, when we do come back, I would love to uh, dive in a little bit further on um, what your overall kind of futuristic thesis is on on real estate, specifically to preview, uh, as well as uh, just talk about how you're seeing growth inside of the company, right? So uh, you're here only six or seven months out. And uh, let's really get into the strategy on how you're going to affect markets. Are you looking to buy a home in New York City? Get more with Preview's industry-leading smart buyer rebate. Seamlessly search listings on Preview's end-to-end buyer platform, purchase your home with the expert advice of a local agent, Plus, receive up to 2% cash back thanks to Preview's Smart Buyer Commission Rebate. Smart buyers get more with Preview. Go to previewapp.com backslash buyer. That's previewapp.com backslash buyer. So, Tom, you, you know, we... You've been in the space for, for a while, both kind of professionally with Preview, as well as, as you said, for, you know, 15 plus years, uh, kind of as a hobbyist, if you will, investor. A hobbyist. So, hobby, is that a, is that a proper <laughs> A real estate do? hobbyist. Real estate hobbyist. Uh, you know, God. I dabble in buying multi-million dollar yeah. um, in Switzerland. So how do you see things changing? Because you've seen it from a couple of perspectives. And obviously, through this show, we talked to a lot of people like, where do you see the space going, the industry of real estate going? So as I said earlier, I, I come from, I, or I look at it through the lens of how other industries have changed, whether I, how I saw how ec- the equities markets changed mm-hmm. um, or how in other industries changed like travel. You know, Pavan could probably talk for hours about travel with uh, Travel Your Business. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at how industries change, there used to be travel agency offices. Now there's not. You know, there there's just, industries will change. And it's not always the the 25-year veteran that's going to have the new look of how it's supposed to be, right? Real estate is an asset, like a stock, like a bond. Yes, it is more a liquid. Um, it's not as easy to get in and out of, like mm-hmm. you could buy or sell Microsoft. Sure. Um, 
but it, the market overall will evolve, right? And as you enter in more technology, you make the process more consumer friendly. Yes, people will still be involved in some way, shape or form because there is a certain level of expertise, but there are parts of the process which can be automated. There are parts of the cost structure, you know, for example, massive office space on you know Fifth Avenue, you know, walk up offices. Mm -hmm. That's a massive cost. That's just a bloated cost structure that prevents people from passing along the savings because that's coming out of the consumer's pocket. It's been a theme of mine over the past few episodes of robots are taking over every industry. In it wasn't bloating. What's that? It was robots not bloating. Bloating. Yeah, yeah, robots. <laughs> I just have a, a an irrational fear of robots. <laughs> All right. Yeah. They're coming away from me. They're they're coming for us. They're my new overlords, and I welcome them. Uh, in the retail space. We talk about Pepper, which is a SoftBank's robotics company, and uh, they're big in um, in Japan now, and they're they're going to start deploying them in the U.S. So I too am big in Japan. Yeah, there you go, Atta boy. <laughs> I, mean, I I think if you look at real estate, there are certain parts of the market which can definitely go some more purely automated, more AI driven. There are companies attacking, you know, the or disrupting the industry from a different way. Um, but like every other industry, people there are different levels of experience that people want. Um, some people need to just, you know, get a bid and be out in three days. Yeah. Um, some people want to look around. It's there, there's a there's a lot of different experiences. So when you when you look at where the future is going, um, going back to my point about the mark, uh, like market structure, all markets become you know, more liquid over time, better, mm -hmm. you know, better transparency, better technology. And I think real estate's going to go the same way. Um, so, you know, as I said before, commission structure will come down and that's going to lead to larger transaction volume and much more of a consumer friendly you know, experience mm -hmm. via platforms. And that relates to something we were talking about a bit ago, which is the idea of, of what you guys are doing preview is, is interesting in that you're paying salaries to agents as opposed to relying purely on commissions, right? So if commissions come down, does that increase the need for kind of like a called a universal basic income of the real estate industry where agents are, uh, the expectation of how you get into the space is different, perhaps even recruiting agents, which is something that I don't imagine is done right now because it's again, eat what you kill. Does that change the way that the entire industry has to look at what you're looking for in an agent? Well, I, I think when you look in an agent or, or anybody that's you know, performing any sort of service or, or job, um, it's what are they looking to take away from it? Are they, one, passionate about it? Are they, two, are they being challenged day to day? Are, are they excited by the activity of what they're doing? Um, and there's a certain stability factor that comes in, it's it's very difficult for someone to break in as an individual into real estate because it is eat what you kill. Unless the, the paying, 90% are, are selling all the, right, the 10% yeah. are selling 90% of the space. And, and there's a big difference between, you're never going to learn a, a profession by doing it part-time. It just takes you longer to get up that experience curve. So if you're doing more deals, you're more active, you're going to learn more. Um, and that's a much better, more fulfilling life than an eat what you kill stress of like, oh, I haven't done a deal in three or four months. What am I going to do? Where we have a compelling value proposition. <clears throat> There's people that need help buying homes and our agents are excited. They're active and you know we're growing that you know, very rapidly. So does that portend a consolidation in the space? So to break that down, the, the commission structure decreases, salaries become a thing. The number of agents who are doing it part-time decreases. That means there's less newcomers into the space. And therefore, the industry starts to kind of revolve around a relatively smaller number of, of companies and agents in the space. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's people not entering the space. I wouldn't say it's you know people doing it part-time versus full-time. I think just the initial breaking in and getting up to the curve of the experience level um, is difficult for many people. And right now there are plenty of teams that pay, you know, junior agents uh, a small salary and they're low man on the totem okay, pole. They don't yeah. get the experience. They're getting the, the low hang fruit and they never move up. And they eventually get frustrated and leave the industry. Well, it's kind of similar to like financial advising, right? You 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 build practices within practices, and you have that hierarchy structure because the commissions are there. And then when you move to more management fees versus 
you know, um, vigs on a shares and stuff like that. It, it changes things. Right. So it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I'm curious from my own standpoint, right? Like I've been kind of perusing, if you will, just casually and, uh, wanting to make an investment myself, wondering if I should go in with friends, whether I shouldn't. And I, my personal concern, first of all, real estate's on everyone's minds right now because of the tax reform bill. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, I have not gotten any clear uh, thoughts or or uh, on where this how this will affect uh, the markets, right? And so I hear a softening, has the IRS, right? So <laughs> right, right. But but ultimately, I don't know how that's going to affect me. How I should structure for myself is these are are these thought leadership things. Well, first of all, I'm going to ask you personally. But is this also going to be part of maybe some sort of education outbound that you have as preview that you're just going to educate and inform people like myself? Yes. So tax reform has been, you know, a constant question that we've been getting uh, for the last few months from the time the legislation was first introduced Mm -hmm. to the time it passed. uh, We have a lot. We had a lot of incoming calls, questions, et cetera. You know, we we do always encourage uh, all of our customers to speak to their tax professional as as people's individual situations can vary. Um, but you know, anecdotally from from our customers, there were it was very binary when it was first introduced. There were some people that were in a rush to go find a property because they wanted to get you know grandfathered in on the mortgage interest deduction, That's no longer a thing. which was not longer no longer a thing. And then there was the other camp that were just put their search on pause for a second and said, I "Thought it'd be a softening." This is there's uncertainty around this. Let's rather than make it you know, rash decision to do something based on proposed legislation. Let's wait to see what it looks like. It ended up being softer than most people feared. Mm-hmm. Like all legislation that gets introduced, they you know, start out one direction, it gets watered down, and it passes. Um, but the key thing when you look at what's going on, the majority of Americans nationwide, this will not be a factor, right? The, the mortgage cap of notional mortgages that you're allowed to deduct uh, interest on is $750,000. That doesn't affect the majority of Americans in the country. But when you look at, you know, high price markets like New York, San New York, Fran, LA, wherever. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And particularly that's not just the high priced home value market, it's also a high state income tax um, uh, markets. So it it does present a headwind for those markets. You know, we we are not shy about that. Um, however, there are a lot of, you know, in these, you know, big cities, there are also people that are benefiting from all of the other, you know, lower corporate tax uh, rates and other mechanisms that people will benefit some from. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, so there are two sides to the equation. Uh, and then there's the other point of that there are people that have been waiting on the sidelines that have been, you know, perusing or looking around with like yourself, where you're sitting there like, oh, I've been waiting for the opportunity to buy. And, you know, if you look at New York over in the last 30, 40 years, you know, dips are usually accompanied by as buying opportunities. Even mm-hmm. like if you look Always. at the financial crisis, people are kicking themselves for not buying that dip. Um, so, well, I'm advised to hold a little bit because there may be a dip, right? So even if that means five percent, six percent, and some people even speculating even ten percent, which whatever, it's gonna. It, I there, think there is speculation around it. So I'm wondering, what does that mean for me? Because that is significant. Well, I think it's a unique, it, w- it was very well-timed. I don't know if this was part of uh, the administration's plan, but it, I think it was well-timed in when they introduced it. They introduced this legislation during the seasonally slowest period for real estate. And mm-hmm. and maybe this was a master plan since, you know, our president did come from a real estate background. But, you know, we'll, 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 we'll not belabor that point either direction. But it, when, you, when you look at the situation, we're going into the spring selling season January, February is statistically when you see the surge of people that are listing their properties. Primarily, it just historically it has to do with you know school years and people's relocation, mm-hmm. New Year's bonus seasons. There, there are a lot of reasons for it, um, but when you go into spring selling season, I think you'll see how people start pricing their properties mm-hmm. um, will set the tone, and I think there there could be some opportunities right out of the gate um, earlier. Then, earlier, and then New York's very <clears throat> unique in that there it's a there's a place, there's no other place like it. There are people that are always going to come to New York, whether it's for the activity, for the cuisine, for the jobs, there will always be demand for, for New York real estate. But if you look at things on a neighborhood by neighborhood aspect, Mm. or 
borough by borough aspect within the New York City market, we're still seeing bidding wars in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. where certain sections of Manhattan have already been softening, not even about tax reform, even like months before that. Right. So, guys, I'm curious to get your respective takes because, you know, previously, Tom, you're mentioning that the your thesis is that the liquidity is going to increase. People are going to be buying and selling their homes more frequently when cost structures change, right? Pavan, you're being told that, uh, you know, maybe hold for a little bit. The dip is coming. You should wait, right? So those two things don't always reconcile. So I guess how do you guys think as investor, as potential real estate um, uh, purchaser, the, the idea that, yeah, you should go now, well, that's, that's increased liquidity well, and buy well, well, versus it, a hold. It, but the buyer that he's referring is a different buyer than who I am. Right. So when I'm not going to be participating in any uh, fluctuation in, in deal uh, activity as much as an institutional investor or somebody that has a structured real estate plan in their portfolio. Right. For me, I am looking for either a primary residence or maybe I should diversify a little bit by making my first real estate investment. Right. Um, and that was before anything with this tax reform bill or anything came up. What I think that will actually move the needle one way or the other are folks that are more maybe alongside what Tom was doing prior to preview or similar where they are looking to diversify or continue to diversify their portfolio and have like, you know, multi-units. Well, I don't know and, if that's the case because Tom, you're referring to home buyers. I think, is that accurate? You think that the liquidity you're referring to is that people might buy and sell their primary residence more frequently? As far as pure residential real estate, if I, 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 we, and we as preview believe is commission structure changes over time that there'll be as they come as commission structures come down over time transaction volume will go up and it'll be overall better for the industry so by rethinking or changing how we think about commission structure or buyer rebates or unlocking value for the consumer will actually be better for the consumer better for the industry Um, but as you as you mentioned when you think of institutional buyers or large landowner landlords multi-property multi-property purchasers versus the the pure you know, primary residence buyer, either way, there could be a, a slower velocity of transactions. So it might affect, you know, some of the larger established firms, but we're actually seeing an acceleration despite that, because one, we have a, a compelling value proposition and at preview, the smart buyer rebate gives you a 2% head start. Mm. So, so that, the, that, the... Will, that it can buffer your closing costs that can be put into renovating a property if you're an investor um, or even just the idea of if there is a tax change, this our two percent rebate might actually enable you to still buy despite those tax changes. <laughs> you should uh, you should deliver the big checks for seventy two thousand dollars at a car dealership. So maybe, maybe you could get a sponsorship with BMW or some something similar. I mean, uh, if uh, if anybody wants to reach out for business development, we're always <laughs> we're always talking to people um, because it is it is very compelling when you think about it. Um, when you look at getting a large rebate of that magnitude, so yeah. you know, let's you know, Scott, let's go back to your million dollar example. You know, you're buying a million dollar property. You're putting you know, in New York, you're typically putting twenty percent down. So you're putting two hundred thousand dollars down on that property. If you're getting twenty thousand dollars back. It's not just two percent of your home value; it's ten percent of the equity you're putting down. Mm-hmm. And you worked. As, think about like how long it takes people to save up that down payment to immediately get a ten percent kicker is is yeah, pretty nice. Yeah, when you put it that way, that that feels sweet. You know, we've talked <laughs> a lot about the the buyer side, which is which is where you guys are previewer focused, right? Like giving that rebate back to the buyer. How do you see things affecting the the selling side? I think it, I think there's a, there are a few things that factor in one there's a different psychology to selling versus buying. When you're a buyer, you have flexibility, you can wait, you can elect to rent. But when you're Mm. selling a property, and typically when you're selling for a life event, whether you just ran out of space and you have a child on the way, or you know what, Um, I lost my job, I need to sell this because I'm not going to be able to continue to afford it. Whatever. Right. So these life event sellers, there is a greater urgency for sellers, there is a greater... um, fear for sellers because it's their largest asset. So um, it is important. And I believe there will always be a human aspect to that um, because you need some shepherding through that process. Um, It doesn't mean that the overall price can't come down because years ago, there used to be exclusive listings and brokers, you had to go to that broker because like they controlled the listing. But in the in the world and technology of Zillow and StreetEasy Mm -hmm. and Trulia, this information is widely disseminated. You can find it. 
So it's not like, mm-hmm. oh, well, my agent's like posting it in the New York Times for me. And they're, you know, they're putting out the open house <laughs> signs. And it's, it's not the, what, the suburban look that you see on television. Um, so people are doing things digitally now. Um, and that cost of that is lower. But somehow the prices have gone up in New York. The technology's gotten better over the last 10 to 15 years. But the, but the cost structure of commissions has not changed. And that's not necessarily something that you guys are attacking right now in terms of the, the cost still is 5 or 6%, of which a couple percent goes back to the buyer. But it sounds like there's a hypothesis that as, as the buyers become more active because the, the rebate, et cetera, that increases liquidity, that makes it easier for sellers to sell, and that is actually a net benefit to the seller. We, we do provide us seller services as well. Um, our buyer focus is, is much larger, just given the value proposition, and it resonates um, sure. greatly with people. But our seller business has done fantastic as well. You can save you know, up to you know, th- not only 3%, but up to 5.5% in our, in our current model. Um, and even our founder, uh, my co-founder, um, sold his apartment in Tribeca last year, and he saved $110,000 in commission by using our method. Just self-listing and... No, he used having... he used the preview method. Um, you know, our just our cost structure... Broker and everything. Our cost structure is mm-hmm. different. He's still... The buyer's broker was still incentivized, um, and he saved $110,000. He received the same level of service um, um, as anybody, as any other brokerage. You mentioned New York uh, many times. You're based in New York. Um, are you in any other cities currently? Uh, not yet. Um, we're primarily focused on New York. Um, mm-hmm. There are, you know, halo areas that we're, you know, already receiving inbound. Like we've done deals in Westchester. We've mm. had requests for the Hamptons already, um, and you know, we'll consider you know other markets, um, you know, in the future as opportunities come along. Yeah, and and what's great about us for expanding not only in you know different parts of New York and work to other markets. Our platform is very scalable. We can enter new markets uh, in the future. Um, but we, uh, we've had amazing traction in New York so far. We're going to continue to, you know, be laser focused on that. And, uh, you know, our team and, uh, and our advisors, we're all, you know, huddled up and, you know, looking to other places as well. All right, coming up, uh, tables are turned a bit. We are going to ask you the hard hitting questions, uh, get to know you a little bit better, uh, as a person, Tom. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. Keep up with the show on Instagram and Facebook at Real Estate Biz Show and with hashtag MouthMedia. Plus, check out all of the MouthMedia Network shows at MouthMediaNetwork.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. All right, time. Time to get a little bit more personal. Um, Scott, you got a good question for him, or you want me to kick it off? I want I want to see how you take this and how gentle you are. Okay, all right, I'll do that. I'm gonna be gentle, but we could maybe go two rounds with Let's Tom go. to to really get to know you, him. You, you jab and I will. All right. Okay. Well, let me start with this then. Uh, a lot of the ethos of um, of preview is to to give back. I'm wondering in in your experience, um, how have you personally given back to whether family, friends, communities, uh, broader, whatever it is in like, what does that mean to you personally? Yeah. So, so when I think of giving back, uh, you know, I've always focused on, you know, charitable giving, uh, you know, my grandmother, even though, you know, my mother's uh, mother, they came from humble means, but she was always very, you know, giving, whether it was, you know, cooking for people or, you know, donating to, uh, you know, a church or donating to a, you know, charitable organization. Um, uh, was definitely always encouraged to be you know charitable and and giving and, and over the years i've you know given to you know various charities um you know there's two you know charities in particular where i give back um i've been a regular contributor to Ch- children's international for almost 15 years um and i've also uh the last 2 years uh, a friend of uh, both mine and scott's um from college uh, at NYU Stern 
started an Austin-based charity called Code to College, mm. which is encouraging uh, STEM careers uh, for underprivileged and minority uh, individuals in the area, um, but focusing it on the high school level. Uh, what they, what his organization had realized from uh, their other works, um, by trying to help people that are underprivileged um, or coming from minority backgrounds, if you start at the college level, it, that group of people will typically already be on the path to success by encouraging technology careers at a much earlier age leads to greater success. Uh, and I was very inspired by the work they were doing um, and the partnerships they've, uh, they've created. They've created you know, high school internships for you know, at companies like Indeed and, and many others. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, it, was, uh, it was great to be you know, charitable and giving to the organization, but I also really believe in uh, you know, that idea of education and uh, encouraging, you know, careers in technology. I'm curious about, you know, education um, and, and how you got your education in real estate. You mentioned that you... First were, of all, you guys went to college together? We went to college I together. I totally forgot that. We we were NYU Violets. That is... That's I name. did not realize. Go Violets. Yeah. That so, yeah, so Scott, Scott was a year older mascot than... mascot of NYU Stern. No, no, actually, this is important to Is it NYU or Stern specifically? Well, we went to Stern School of Business at NYU, right. but um, but the mascot... Actually, there's an important distinction here for anyone who doesn't know NYU. So the name of our team, oh, uh, all teams, including Division Three women's basketball, which is the, the, the by far oh. the most well-known of our teams, um, <laughs> is... The Violets, so is the NYU Violets, but our mascot is a Bobcat, which, little known fact for anyone who didn't go to NYU, the name Bobcat, um, which is, you know, the, the mascot that's at the games is a person in a Bobcat costume, actually derives in total non-sequitur fashion from the name Bobst catalog. Now, Elmer Holmes Bobst was the the Scott, beneficiary the, the library at NYU and a well-known name around the school. And so they decided to name the mascot after this guy and have it Bobcat. doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. And I that's figured, why they call you the violence. And now. I figured you guys would want to know that story. Seriously now, <laughs> in terms of your education. So you mentioned you know, your career track out of NYU where you were a violet was uh, into the you know financial sector but you said that you've been investing in real estate for a while on the side. So how did you get started? How did you learn to do that? Yeah, so I was always encouraged, you know, from an early age to to save. And I was always also encouraged that, you know, it's better to buy a property and, you know, essentially pay yourself as opposed to just having canceled rent checks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was always... I was educated early that, you know, buying real estate was a better option in some cases financially. Um, but I also worked in the stock market and in banks and in and in hedge funds. You have a lot of onerous restrictions on what you can and cannot trade. And obviously your whole, you know, livelihood is based on, you know, the, the movement in the stock market. Um, so even though I did invest in it's stocks really as well, the risk of it. I... I just started to invest from a very early, you know, point in my career in real estate. I, you know, I bought my first apartment right out of college. That turned mm. into two, and it just went from there. And I just liked, I just was passionate about those as a physical space. Um, it's tangible, and mm. I had a one uncle who always said, like, you know, the nice part about owning real estate is, that, you know, even if you know, you know, something goes wrong in your life, you'll always have, you know, at least at least Place one roof, sleep. at least one roof to put over your head. So it's. Uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's been uh, it's been a long uh, you know, 15, 16 years of investing in real estate. What have you learned? I think in this process. So forget about the whole investing in and being that. Like what? Have, like you're immersed in it now from the from the industry standpoint. What have you learned that you were not expecting? I think when people read, you know, Inc. Magazine or Entrepreneur, they or they've watch the movie The Social Network and think about how like Facebook exploded mm. or or even when you now you see all the you know cryptocurrency, you know, instant, you know, millionaires and you know, billionaires even. And you forget that that there's a lot of hard work when it comes to being a startup. There's not always the overnight success. Mm-hmm. You know, we formulated preview back in the day as uh one real estate concept in twenty fifteen and we immediately saw and reacted to data that was coming in and discovered the idea of the smart buyer rebate. And things take time. 
and it takes persistence and it takes the ability to sometimes modify your original idea to to break through. And I, I think that's the, the biggest thing that I've learned through this process, going from large established organizations mm-hmm. to working, you know, when we first started, it was two of us, you know, and a spreadsheet. And there's and, a lot of us friends that thought you were absolute batshit crazy. Um, yeah, a, a, a lot of people in the industry were like, wait, you're going to do what? Mm-hmm. And they knew I had invested in real estate, but they didn't think that I would go and do this. And, you know, there, there's a hurdle when you, you know, leave behind, a, you know, established, you know, lucrative career. Um, and, you know, like, you know, it's it's a big leap to just, burn the bridge behind you. and But I think that's what it takes to break through. And there's an important thing, by the way. You mentioned you know, burning the bridge, jumping off the cliff. Right? In this case, like Thelma Louise style, you held hands with a co-founder as you jumped off the ledge there, Chase. You mentioned him before. So how did you guys meet and how did you both decide to leave you know, whatever careers you respectively had to start this? Yeah, so we were both working at a large investment bank uh, in 2009. So we worked together for about a year and a half. And then I went off to, uh, to move to Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, but we stayed in touch as friends over the years. We always had, you know, discussions about real estate. We had voiced our frustrations about, you know, brokerage experiences we'd had. Um, but, you know, we had a lot of, you know, common views on how things could change. We had common lens on how things could change. Um, and, you know, and that, you know, friendship and, you know, shared passion for real estate and, and, uh, and the band, The Killers. <laughs> and the band, The Killers. Um, we we <clears throat> continue to have the conversation to the point where it's like, well, let's let's do something about this. Mm. And uh, you know, he's been a you know he's been a great co-founder, great business partner. From that stroke of hey, let's do something about it to actually launching um, uh, an idea, a full fledged idea. How long was that? There, we had some back and forth, uh, you know, conversations in the spring of 2015. Um, then there was one weekend we were debating it. I hopped on a flight on a Friday from Switzerland to New York just for the weekend. Just get it done. We spent, you know, went to, to, you know, his family's apartment, you know, 24 to 48 hours, just talked about every sort of scenario of like, which, what could the concept look like? Where could we go with this? What, you know, how is this even feasible? Um, and we created an initial plan and we started slowly building it. Um, the plat, the, uh, our original platform. So not very long, about a year till you launched. What did you learn about yourselves in this process? I think... And some of our past guests have mentioned this, especially people that have gone from finance to another industry. I think there's this stigma that people from the finance industry are only good at one thing. Like, oh, you just know how to like you know move money around. That's a stigma. That's there's a, in there's every an, it's, industry. It's an, it's an awful stigma. At least I think yeah. for the finance industry, that like you just know financial engineering and like mm-hmm. you, what else are you going to be able to do? But I think when you throw yourself into it and you're forced to learn because you have no other choice, you have nobody else to lean on, you don't have a big organization behind you, um, you learn very rapidly. You know, I was a very you know, technical person, um, but you know, anything I didn't know, I took a class on it. Like we're, when interacting with our developers, um, I always had I'd taken programming back in college, but I immediately went out and took a new programming course in one of the plat- uh, one of the languages we we build in. Um, I went out and took digital marketing courses and I've come up the curve very quickly on, you know, quarterbacking our marketing efforts and it's, it's worked very well. And, and we're smart enough to realize when you don't know something, go find someone in your network, in your Rolodex that can give you advice. And we've had a lot of, you know, great silent and, um, and public uh, advisors. That kind of need slash desire to learn to hustle to scrap and, and get done whatever needs to get done is very entrepreneurial kind of a message that, that you hear a theme I should say you hear a lot do you think there's a, a corollary there in the in the real estate world is this universe and industry changes that that same need slash desire to to learn constantly is something that everyone should adopt well I, I think when you look at real estate technology I, one of our former guests uh, Brendan Wallace of Fifth Wall made a very good point that you know, there's a lot of great real estate people out there. There's a lot of great technology people out there, but there's very few people that have the lens on both. And I think when you look out five, ten years, I think you're going to be amazed at how many people are going to be at the forefront as real estate technology leaders and thought leaders, um, rather than just being a tech person, just being a real estate person. And that was actually one of the the drivers of starting the podcast originally was to have those conversations, to elevate the the discussion around that, 
because there's a lot of very talented people that maybe they didn't have the domain expertise in any one part of it, but they're now clearly at the, they're domain experts in real estate technology. What's success for you? What does that mean internally? Internally for me personally or internally? Personally, not for the company. Uh, Internally, I've, I had a very good mentor, um, very early in my career and obviously it was an investment in investments but he said that you know always be a good person if you treat people the right way uh it'll serve you well in the long run and i think when i look at my personal life um my professional life my uh, family life i think always being that good person is how people remember me what's the last uh good book you'd recommend that you've read I think there's two books I would recommend. Uh, The first one is The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Um, That's awesome. Great title. Great title. Great title. It is a good title as well. (laughs) Good title, a great title. As being like a a more laser-focused investment professional, real estate technology professional, um, it's sometimes tough to take a step back because it's just tough to decompress. I think it was a very refreshing book um, about... Thinking about life in general. Um, what is it about exactly? It's it's about a like basically a high powered corporate lawyer who is just run down and he quits quits his job to go to the Himalayas and he comes back That's with a refreshed view and look on life mm-hmm. and it sometimes it's just a good to you know take a pause think about it read that and, and come back. How much did he sell his Ferrari for? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. It's from a few years ago. Um, and then and the second book, uh, you know, I read, well, I, I listened to recently as an audio book. Uh, you know, I actually listen to more audio books than I do, hmm. and audio books and podcasts than I do actually read physical books. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Principles by Ray Dalio I thought was, yeah. was fantastic. And uh, actually, my, my girlfriend had met him at a book signing um, and brought me a personalized <laughs> signed copy. That's pretty so. cool. It was pretty good. Uh, yeah, as a former, I listened to for, him as a former on, uh, finance person. with Gary V. I thought that was pretty. That was an interesting conversation between the two of them. I listened to them as I listened to that episode as well, and you know, I've I've heard Dalio speak multiple times on multiple you know mediums, um, and I, I listened to Gary V. regularly, and it was amazing because Gary V. is this you know very energetic you know person to see him actually be reserved and hold back during that conversation just to listen no he was trying to well he listened in the beginning once he he drew parallels between the two of them right away and he wanted to connect them faster than ray was able to right right so he was he was almost trying yeah it was it was an interesting one i liked it a lot and at the end of it they smoothed it out really nicely but i i think the good part when you look at the the dahlia book is it's very having a structured set of rules of how you live by how like what process you go about whether it's in life or in business, uh, you're going to be far more successful if you know what that set of rules is, so you can continue to modify it, improve it, because um, you can't just go through life or and be haphazard and be successful. I mean, there'll be a few you know outliers and lucky yeah. people, but um, having a good process process and structure works. is required to some capacity for sure. Not to some capacity, there has to be whatever the level and priority you want to put on it is up to you, but there has to be that. Great. Now, what type of folks are you looking to connect with these days? Uh, so, in you know, sort of several arenas. So, uh, if if you're looking to buy an apartment or home in New York, um, you can go to Preview's website, PreviewApp.com, P-R-E-V-U-A-P-P.com, uh, and where you know our team will be you know, happy to help you, and you can create your own customized feed and immediately be viewing and be able to be connected with a professional, um, you know, and and save up to 2% when you buy that property. Um, and then people in the industry that either just want to talk about real estate technology, want to just help network or, or anybody that's interested in being on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you can connect with me personally uh, on LinkedIn or Instagram at Thomas Kutzman, T H O M A S K U T Z M A N. Um, or you can connect to us on the show, uh, at real estate biz show on Instagram. Excellent. Thanks so much for being a guest on your show. How did it feel uh, being on the other side of the table? 
different. I mean, definitely different. It's uh, it's <laughs> it's much more interesting um, asking questions as opposed to answering. But uh, it's far easier to answer questions right. about uh, your day to day as opposed to digging deeper uh, on somebody else's. Uh... Well, it's it's clear that you're passionate about it. You're well informed. Uh, so we do wish you all the best with uh, your personal and business journey with Preview. So for for Scott, goodbye everyone. And for myself, shake it easy, and uh, we'll see you soon. You've been listening to Real Estate Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show, or to become a sponsor, email us at realestatebizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Real Estate Biz Show. That's Real Estate B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, realestateisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network and brought to you by Preview. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.